And actually, a, a good portion of Acts chapter 22, uh, we should be able to get both was done. A lot of this is narrative, so it's just reading through and getting it. And you know me, sometimes I like to stop and pick things through, but for the most part, it's going to be quite narrative. Um, but that said, then I think if we're kind of get our minds in the setting, get our minds in the, in the, in the picture, pretend like we're there and, and try to really sympathize with Paul and try to really feel what Paul's feeling and go with and go through what Paul's going. I think once we get to the application bit at the end, it'll be a lot more powerful. So as we start the first, you know, half of it in a bit, just try to just pretend like you're there with Paul and try to be like, like if you were maybe Luke or, or Barnabas or one of his companions or you know, in your mind, you know, pretend like you're Paul and try to really sympathize with how, what he is going through. Um, so the first slide, um, I started with a, ver- with a question, what shall we do? And this, of course, is where we see Paul go to Jerusalem for his, I think, possibly final time. This is where he's arrested, and eventually he'll make his way to to Rome um, and spend some time in prison. But he is in Jerusalem. Um, And the question, what shall we do, is in regards to the problem. There's a lot of rumors and gossips going on about Paul and his teaching ministry, his ministry to the Gentiles. And, 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 the, and the Jews at the time were very zealous, very passionate about their God, about Moses and the law and the ceremony. And, and, and they're upset with Paul, many in Jerusalem, because they believe that Paul is converting people to turn away from these customs, which is partially true, but for the most part, false. He's telling the Gentile believers that they don't have to they don't have to go back and put on this yoke that the, that the, that the, that the Jewish believers had, this, this yoke of, of ceremony, this yoke of the law, this burden that comes from that. They, don't, they didn't have to do it. And that was a message for the Gentiles. However, Paul, being a Jew, he did a lot of the cer- ceremonies. We know that. In fact, he's in Jerusalem for ceremony's sake. So he himself is like, you know, I'll, I'm a Jew for the Jew. And I'm a Gentile for the Gentile. So he, he's, he's culturally savvy, if you will. You know, he's able to enter into various cultures. But the problem is, is, is a lot of the, the, these, the, these people we see here in Jerusalem, they don't want these Gentiles to go to God without the troubles that they had to go through. It's not fair that the Gentiles should have a free experience God's grace freely. It's no fair. But that's what the cross of Christ is all about. It's forgiveness, it's redemption, and it's a free gift. But the, but the Jews didn't, they, they, they struggle with it because it's like, you know, you know, it's like older brothers complaining about the younger brothers. No fair. I never got away with that when I was his age. You know, that kind of thing. But you know what? The things have changed, you know, and, and, and because of the, I mean, before Jesus, the Gentiles had no chance without these ceremonies without being born into this culture. But now we should be praising God and being so thankful that the God's available to all people, all nation groups, 
That should be exciting. So the problem is, how do we deal with this persecution? Because Paul's going to be persecuted because of slanders and lies and gossips. And so they're going to want to, and we know Paul's story. From reading Acts, we know he's chased all around the world. Beaten up here, beaten up there, chased out of this, chased out of that. He's, he's not a popular fella. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You're in Jerusalem, Paul. You're going to get, you're going to get beat up or something. Something bad's going to happen. So they recommended this. Uh, they will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so they can't have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual morality. So again, the, the elders are in agreement. Yeah, we don't want to put this, 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 this you know, religious or this self-righteous or this pharmaceutical you know, bondage, the law and the ceremony of Moses on the Gentiles. So we're, we're, we're right in that. And so we shouldn't have to apologize for that. But, but, but Paul, you, you're, you're, you're Jewish born. So you sh- it should be okay for you to do ceremonies. You understand it's a part of your culture. So just be cool. That's the advice. Just be cool. Just go with it because you don't want to cause problems. You don't want to add salt to injury, if you will. And Paul, like he says in his epistles, I'm all things to all men. So this is cool. This fits within his theology. So the next day, Paul, in verse 26, took them in, purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offerings would be made for each of them. So he's playing ball. He's going along with these these ceremonies. Unfortunately, it doesn't work altogether well because the problem still occurs. And we start to see that in verse 27. So when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. And they steered up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. So we have this like mob mentality. They always have this mob mentality. Let's get the guys together. Let's get the gals together. Let's cause, let's, let's have a riot. It's time for a riot. You know, here we go. We got Paul. Let's, let's get the, 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 the people all emotionally fired up. And of course they use nationalism as a, as an inspiration and religion as an inspiration. Come on, Israelites, stand up for Israel. Come on, Jews, stand up for, you know, Judaism. You know, let's all have this, this pride about our people, our nation and our, and our, you know, you know, our religion. And so they get them all fired up because of these things. And then they say, this is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law. And this place, of course, this place is the temple, the holy temple of God. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled the whole place. So this is a, a real harsh accusation. He's, not only is he talking bad things about us and our place of worship, but he's bringing the Gentiles, the, 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 the dogs, the dirty dogs into the temple. And they're assuming that he did this. Paul never did this. But they're assuming it because of 29. They had previously seen um, Trophimius, the Ephesian, you know, Gentile, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Next slide. So going on in verse 30, the whole city was aroused. And the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, fun, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. 
Again, I had to put that in because it was constantly. I mean, is there ever peace <laughs> in the Middle East? No, there never has been. Lord Jesus, come, please. We need peace in, <laughs> in this world. But here we are, again, with under Roman you know, rule, there was certainly no peace. So the Roman troops called in yet again to calm the crowd. Verse 32, and he at once took, this is the Roman um, commander, took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Oh, Paul. Verse 33, the commander came up and arrested him, arrested Paul. Oh, you're getting beat up. I think it's fair that I arrest you. Anyways, and ordered him to be bound to, with two chains. Again, it's just funny how things change. If, if, if a police came and saw some guy getting beat up by a crowd of people, who would just soon be arrested? It's funny how people, <laughs> human behavior. There should be a science about human behavior. Anyways, but regardless, there's Paul, you know. He was warned. Remember that, guys? We, we talked about that. He was warned fair and square. The Holy Spirit warned him, don't go to Jerusalem or you're going to get arrested. He sent a prophet. The prophet actually gave him that fancy, remember he took the, the, the belt off of his coat and wrapped his arms and legs. He says, if you go to Jerusalem, this will be you. You know, being very illustrative about the fact that he's going to be arrested. Well, here it is happening before us, guys. Here it is. But Paul says, I am ready to die for the cross. We talked about that. Now, was he being an idiot was he being brave? You know, was he being stubborn? I don't know. But the reality is he felt like God, even though the spirit was speaking through others, he felt like he needed to go to Jerusalem. And certainly these prophecies came true. He's being arrested. So again, verse 34, some in the crowd shouted one thing and some, uh, oh, going back, he bound him in two chains. Then he asked, he asked who he was and what he was doing. I like that. Arrest first, ask questions later. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. Again, typical crowd mentality, my mentality, they can't even get their story straight. We don't know why we're mad at him. We don't know why we want to beat him up, but we just do because he's Paul. In fact, some people don't even know he's Paul. In fact, the commander didn't even know he's Paul. The commander completely get his identity wrong, and we'll see that in a moment. So he's asking, what, who is this guy and why are we beating him up? Why is he arrested? Some of the crowd shout one thing, some shout the other, and since the commander could not get the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken in the barracks. So basically take him away to safety, protect him from the mob and the beatings and the killings. So that when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had been carried, had to be actually carried by the soldiers. They actually literally had to physically pick him up and just, come on, make way, make way. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Now, if you live your life for God, you live your life for Christ, it's likely that you might find yourself in a similar situation where people want to get rid of you. They may not want to get rid of your body and your presence per se, but they want to get rid of that Christianity or that Christian influence, that obnoxious Bible-bashing ways of yours. You know what I'm saying? So like Paul, I think we might be able to identify with this concept of, oh, we'll tolerate you, but don't bring... We don't want all of you. Keep your Jesus at home. Next slide. So Paul now stops and starts telling his story. And he starts by talking about his zealous ways, his zealous, zealous past, the zealous Paul. And he says to the soldiers in verse 37, as the soldiers were talking or about to take Paul into the, into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? 
Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out of the wilderness at some time ago? Now, again, like I said, there's never been peace. There's never been, there's always been trouble in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, in Israel. And certainly they were used to plenty of characters, plenty of false Christ, plenty of terrorists, even at this time. And so they thought he was causing terror, like maybe they, he again assumed that Paul was this fellow from Egypt who caused bother and terrorized the people. Now they're getting revenge on him. Again, false identity. This is not, he, who are you arresting, commander? You don't even know who you're arresting. You think you're, you're arresting some terrorists, but you're not. You're arresting Paul, a guy who walks around telling people about Jesus Christ. So Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary citizen. Again, Paul was a citizen, not just of Tarsus, but a Roman, because it was a Roman a part of the Roman colony. And so he was a Roman. So in order to be arrested and to be charged, he, he, there was due process that was, that was warranted. That was, that, that was granted for Paul. And so Paul made it very clear, you know, even though he's Jewish born, he was a Roman citizen. Please, and we'll see more about this in the next few weeks, probably next week actually. But regardless, please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Again, it's believed that this was the common language of the people at this time. That's why he chose to speak in this language. Brothers and fathers, this is Paul speaking. Listen to Paul talk about his testimony. You guys know the word testimony. That's, this is basically what Paul is doing here. He's, he's telling his story. And listen to his story. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. Now, you've heard the gossips. You've heard the rumors. But don't I get a chance to speak for myself? Isn't that just fair? Can I not have a defense for who I am and what I've done? Well, then he goes on to say, when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Again, a language they can all understand. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamal, or Gamaliel. He is one of the big chief Pharisees. So he was like the man within the, the, the Jewish religion. He was like the guy everyone looked up to. Everyone wanted to be trained under this fella. And he was trained under this fella. Oh. And he was thoroughly trained in the law of our, their ancestors. So he knew about the law, Moses, and the stories. And the, he understood. He could recite it very well. He was astute. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. But were you, Paul? How zealous were you, Paul? Well, he goes on to explain. I persecuted the followers of this way. The way, this is a very common term at this time to refer to Christians. It was because it was in reference to Jesus being the, the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to God but through Jesus. And this is part of the problem that the early church had then, and it's pretty much the, in, in, in part and parcel why the church has a lot of problems today is that it proclaims in harmony with Jesus Christ that he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to God but through him. That's, that's a hard pill to swallow. That's what the way believed then, and that's what the way believes now. And by the way, I'm talking about Christian people who believe the Bible. So I persecute these followers of the way. He didn't like their politics. He didn't like their way. Certainly didn't like their Jesus. 
And he did it all the way into death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. So there's, hey, go to the high priest, go to the council here in town. They'll know all about me. They know about my zealousy and my persecution against the church. They know, go talk to them if you don't want to take my word for it. I even obtained letters from them to their associates up in Damascus. And when they and went there to bring these people as a prisoner to Jerusalem to punish. And so, again, he got these letters to go to Damascus to arrest the people of the church of the way. And that's where you get to the next portion, the story, the next slide. Paul, on his way to Damascus, in verse 6, Acts 22, about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When we have an encounter with God, brothers and sisters, when we have an encounter with God, a lot of times, and this is the world hates this, this empirical-minded, naturalistic, secularistic world hates the fact that God sometimes speaks in purely subjective ways. They hate that sometimes God wants to have a one-on-one encounter with people. They don't like it because they feel left out. How do I believe you and your relationship with God when I can't see it myself? Sorry, mate. That's how God chooses to work. And here, this is what happened. Here, this is what exactly what happened. He was on his way to persecute the church, to persecute Christ and his disciples. And he had this subjective encounter, this personal encounter with God, where he saw a bright light from heaven, and he fell to the ground, hearing a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, I know your heart, I know you're zealous for God, but you got it all wrong. You're actually doing it so wrong that you're actually going against me. You're persecuting me. And then Saul answers. By the way, Saul is Paul's name before it was changed to Paul. In case you're wondering if I'm talking about two different people. (laughs) Or Paul's talking about two different people. Paul used to be called Saul. Okay, going on from there. Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth. Not, you know, there's plenty of Jesus at the time. But he made himself very clear. I am Jesus, yes, the one of Nazareth, the one that traveled around in the miracles and the death on the cross, that fellow, raised from the grave three days later. Yes, the guy you're persecuting, the way, the truth, the life. No other way to the Father but through me. That fellow, that's who you're persecuting. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. Whom you are persecuting. In Paul's blind zealousy, For God, he unknowingly went against God by persecuting his son. Verse 9, Paul says, My companions saw the light, but did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. So again, this this goes into that subjective nature. You know, they saw something going on. And maybe we would go, we would have an encounter with God, maybe at some kind of meeting or some kind of group or, or somewhere where we're with people. And you feel like you're touched, you hear from God, but they're seeing what you're seeing, maybe, hearing what you're hearing, but they don't get it. They just don't understand it. I think that's kind of what happened here with Paul and his traveling mates. He was, he was, he was, it was, it was a, a special encounter by God where they were all a part of, they heard the light, they hear some mumbling, something, but they don't understand. They didn't understand. That is the difference between someone who's encountered God and just people who are hanging about. These companions, these trailing companions, they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. 
When we encounter God, we need to ask this question. If you encounter God, you need to ask him, what do I do? What shall I do? And we also need to mean it. We don't just do it out of flattery, out of words, lip service, as you will. We don't just say, okay, God, I'm feeling really emotional right now. What should I do, God? Yes, I will. And then go home and forget about it. Paul didn't do that. When he heard from God, he asked genuinely, what do I do, God? Which means he meant it. And when God gave a message, he gave his life. That's where all this has begun. And this is what we're seeing in Jerusalem. A life lived for God, traveling, not just once, not just twice, but three times around the known world, risking his life. Every time he stepped out to travel around the world, he almost dies. And then he comes back. He's so used to almost dying that when they told him, don't go to Jerusalem, he says, who cares if I die? I almost die every time I go step out and travel about. I'm used to it by now. Death's the normal part of my life. Or the risk of death, rather. So God told him, okay, this is what you're going to do then. Get up and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. Think about that. Paul had an assignment. This is a part of his calling. When you talk about calling, we're talking about a job description, if you will, given directly by God. Do you think of your personal callings, brothers and sisters? Do you think of your personal callings? The things that you do for God in service, do you actually think of them as actual assignments from God? If you do, I think you're going to find a lot more meaning in your ministry work, a lot more meaning in your in your relationship with God, if you can think of, God actually gave me a job to do. Wow, that's awesome. I think you could do it with me. And I know because I've been ministering for some years now that if I didn't have this mentality, I'd burn out. And I know a lot of ministers that do burn out because they don't really think it came from God. Maybe they're hirelings. Maybe it's a good job option for them. Maybe it's just something that they grow up in a church doing these things and they thought, I want to be the big preacher guy sometime. But they don't really get it as a calling as something that they got assigned to them by God himself. That is strength. That is power. And that's what keeps you going through the hard times like persecution. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light has blinded me. Next slide, please. A man named Ananias came to see me in verse 12. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you. Again, chosen, the idea of being assigned by God, being chosen by God. But look at the nature, look at the details of this verse. He has chosen you to know his will. Paul was chosen to know God's will. Those three words, no, God's will, are powerful. In this, we find value, and in this, we find meaning. We find the roots. We find the essence of value in meaning, in life, in reality. To know God is the ultimate value, not pleasure, not happiness. Knowing God is the ultimate value. Anything we have is instrumental only to that. God's will. You want to know the ultimate meaning? Why am I here? Why are we here? Why are any of us here? It's to be 
in harmony with God's will. That's life. That's why we're here, because God wants us. He created us. And so he has a plan. We want to be in line with that. That's meaning. I call this the value meaning in life sandwich. Because you have no in God and the will of God and God right in the middle. So to, he has chosen Paul to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. Again, this talks about that kind of that, that personal experience. You know what I'm saying? It's experiencing God, experiencing through, through, through various events in our lives where God meets us in various places, through his word, through worship, through prayer, through just sitting there being goofy, whatever. He meets us in different times, different places. Experientially, we can meet God. And this, by the way, guys, is, in my opinion, empirical evidence. This isn't just rational thinking. I believe this is just as warranted of knowledge as any scientific knowledge. Think about science. What's science about? It's about observation, right? Using your senses, sight, hearing, touch, and you, up, and you observe things. That's what, I mean, you observe. So you put things under test over and over and over and over and over again. You go, ah, that must be it, because we tested three billion times. But what you're doing is you're looking at the results. You're observing the results. You're using your senses. Don't we have a sense called intuition as well, or a sense of the spirit? So if we encounter God spiritually, we see him. We hear him. And that's what Paul is saying. This is a part of his encounter with God to be able to see and hear him in a real, rational way. Verse 15, you will be my witness, or his witness, to all the people of what you have seen and you have heard. To see and hear, then, always should be followed by being a witness. What you've seen, it's like a good scientist who's in his laboratory, and he's doing his three million experiments, and they're all coming up the same, and he writes it down. Then he journals it. He's being a witness, right? He's, he's, mark, he's noting it for other people to take benefit of. We do the same thing as Christians, as God believers. We hear, we see, we remember, and we are a witness. We jot it down, or we tell others about it. And now, what are you waiting for? <laughs> I love God. What are you waiting for? He's, I almost feel like he's talking to me right now. What are you waiting for? Why are you standing around? You're waiting for coffee and some biscuits? Okay, that's cool, but then get going. Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins calling on his name. And when I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Next slide. And we're almost done, guys. This is, we're, we're going to start wrapping it up at this point. In the collusion of the, of the mob, when we get back to where they were a couple slides ago, get rid of them. Uh, we heard your testimony. We still want to get rid of you, Paul. Acts 22, verse 19. Lord, I reply, going on with his testimony. These people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr, Stephen, remember him? We talked about Stephen weeks and weeks and weeks ago, was shed. I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So he heard from God after this encounter with Stephen. He went to Damascus. You know, he, he knew that he wasn't going to be an effective testimony and witness there in Jerusalem. He maybe was too close to the system. He had to go out 
this is a part of God's calling. It's a part of God's assignment for him to go out to the Gentiles, go out into the rest of the world to preach the gospel. So the crowd listened to Paul. And that's his testimony finished there. They listened to him. And they thought, wow, Paul, that's, that's convincing. We, we believe that. Thank you. We're, I want to be Christian now. Where do I sign up? That's what they said. False. They did not say that. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this, the part of the Gentiles, the people they hate, because they were racists, I hate to say it, they hated other cultures. They saw Gentiles as dogs and unclean. And then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. So now we're going to wrap it up, our application, guys and gals. Are you finding it difficult to be a faithful witness to Christ? We try to be culturally relevant, like we see Paul doing. We try so hard to relate to people, try to not offend people too much. We do the ceremonies when we asked. We want to be zealous for God. We want to have this excitement for God. But sometimes we make a mess out of it. We're at times misunderstood, gossiped and lied about, and completely misassociated. People just don't accept our testimony. It's like they want to get rid of us. Do you feel that way sometimes? Well, it's okay. Next slide will give you some hope. I'm, I, I, I'm, I hope. I hope this gives you hope. It's okay. God is your defense. It doesn't matter what people think of you. It matters what God thinks of you. You need to be close to God. It's okay, God's your defense. Luke 12, 4 says this. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And most Bible scholars believe this, this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is rejecting God your whole life, basically. Just, just pushing the Spirit away. Verse 11. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about what you will or how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say.
closing prayer.